0: Father God, thank you so much that we're able to gather together in this place and sing songs to you and for you and about you. And Lord, I pray that as, uh, as I come this morning and bring your word, Lord, that you would, uh, you would prepare my heart even now and that you would prepare the hearts uh, of all of us here to hear it, God. And uh, we pray above all that we would honor you in the way that we worship you and the way that we live our lives and that during this season of advent where we are anxiously awaiting your return and remembering when you were given to us by our father lord i pray that our hearts would be open to giving more and spending less and focusing on the things that truly matter during this holiday season we love you lord it's in your precious and holy name that we pray, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and get them out. We're going to be in Amos chapter 5 to start things off uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to get one to you. And so these Bibles that we're going to give to you, someone's going to come around and hand you one. Uh, You can keep them if you want. They're a gift from us. Uh, we want you to have it. We want you to read it and enjoy it. Uh, so some of you that are new here may not know who I am. My name is Matt. Uh, I am one of the uh, folks here at church that, uh, that just part of the church, just like you guys are. But uh, we believe here at Neartown that Russell should not be the central... Uh, one to carry all of the ministry burden here at the church, and so we, as a group, and we and we ask this of all of our mission partners that we carry the burden of ministry and that we love each other and minister to each other in that way. And so, part of doing that is having a guy like me, who is not the trained professional that Russell is, come up and uh, and give a message once in a while. You're going to see. Um, A much handsomer uh, fellow up here in a couple of weeks, John, who's going to get up and preach on loving all. And today I've been saddled with the task of preaching uh, during this Advent season on spending less and giving more. So it is the holiday season and around this time every year, everyone is trying to finish up their Christmas shopping. So by a show of hands, who has completely finished all of their Christmas shopping? Okay, I, there were only a couple people that raised their hand, but I would like to make note that it was women that raised their hand. Okay. Because I, in fact, a couple of things happened. It was, it was pretty funny when I was talking my message over with Andrew and Jay, uh, a couple of days ago, I asked them if they had finished their Christmas shopping and obviously they said no. And then I, and then I asked them this question, who all are you getting gifts for this year? And they just, they just kind of blankly stared at me because they don't know. Their wives are getting the presents for everyone just in the same way that my wife is getting all the presents for everyone that we have to get presents for, and I will smile on Christmas morning and say, oh, you're welcome, and not really having... It's a surprise to me when they open it. I'm like, oh, look at what we got them. I, I, don't, I don't even know. Can I get an amen, husbands in the room? Amen, amen. Well, everyone has gotten the obligatory gift right? You have people on your list this year that you have to get gifts for that you really don't have any business getting gifts for those people, right? It's your, your, your son-in-law's cousin's sister and you see them once a year but you feel like you have to get them a gift because you know they're going to get you a gift because they got you that pair of socks that you don't even really like last year. So you know that you have to get them a gift and we've all done that, right? When I was uh, a young lad about age six, really from about the age of six to the age of 13 or so, the obligatory gift that I got every year was from my grandmother, and it was a bottle of Brute Aftershave. (laughs) Brute Aftershave. I I actually wanted to get a bottle of it to pass around. You know, maybe y'all could kind of dab some on a little bit or whatever, but... I couldn't find any of it, which means either they don't make it anymore, or it's in such high demand that, uh, that the shelves are, are empty this time of year. So, brood aftershave. You know, I don't think I shaved the first time until I was maybe 19. You know, laugh it up, you guys with big beards. It's like really popular now to have the big beard, and I'm very, very jealous of that. But puberty will end when I'm about 35, and I'll be able to grow one. Can you say puberty during your sermon? I don't know if you can or not, but I did. We'll scratch that from the recording. We're, we're not the only ones, right? It's a cultural norm to give this, uh, this obligatory giving system, right? You, you feel like you have to get gifts for all these people. We're not even really sure why we do it. Christmas has become this tedious list of to-dos that, that we're all about now, and we don't even realize why we do it, and we're not the only ones. Uh, the Israelites had the same issue And that lands us in Amos chapter 5, if you will read along with me. As a matter of fact, why don't we just stand as we read God's word together. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. Here we go. It says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harp, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikath, your king, and Cayun your star God, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas, huh? That was a really uplifting uh, passage of scripture that we just had there. You know, if you're new to the Bible you're new to Christianity, and even if you're not, there are some things that we should revisit as we we attempt to understand this passage here. You see, these sacrifices and offerings, the feasts and the solemn assemblies and the songs and all that, it was all part of a sacrificial system of worship that was implemented when the giving of the law occurred. And so, Moses went up the mountain and he gets the tablets, the Ten Commandments, and he comes down and he issues those commandments to the people after he got angry and broke them and all that. You need to go back and read that part of the story. Don't want to digress too much there, but he comes down and he gives them the Ten Commandments and with those Ten Commandments comes a very extensive list of things and rules and procedures that they're to follow called the law. It was given to them as a way to govern the way that they lived and worshiped. It was not something that God said, if you love me, do this. It was something that God said, do this. You are my chosen people. And he required that they brought sacrifices and offerings to him. So if you're like me, you're a little confused at the verse that we just read because he says in those earlier verses that he will not accept them. He says, I will not look upon them. Take away from me your songs. Seems a bit contradictory, right? Why would God require the sacrifices and then tell us through the prophet Amos that he doesn't want them, really? I think the answer lies in the fact that the Israelites didn't have their heart in it. The Israelites were worshiping God with their hands and they were using their hearts to chase after all of these other gods. And, you know, the reason for God, another reason for God to not want these sacrifices is that they were never meant to save the people in the first place. And if you, if you're like me and you're, you know, you're a little ADD and you don't have, you don't take away too much from a sermon. If you take away anything, make this be one of them that those sacrifices and offerings couldn't save the people. They were never meant to save the people. And just as they were not meant to save the Israelites, there's nothing that you can do in your daily life. There's no box that you can check off. There's no uh, formality of attending a church service or reading your Bible at this particular time or doing your good deed for the day that is going to save you. It just won't. Salvation has always been by grace and through faith. You see, we were, never, uh, we were never able to save ourselves of our own volition. Paul says um, in Ephesians that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. And God, in his mercy, brought us near by the sacrifice of the cross. And so we reflect on that. You see, the law was never meant to to save the people. In fact, Paul tells us that the law was given to show the people their sin. Paul says, how would I know what it is to covet if the law had not not told us that thou shalt not covet? Okay? So this list of rules, this socially acceptable form of behavior where they continue to bring these sacrifices and offerings before the Lord... Because everybody was doing it right. It was what they did as part of their daily lives. And then with their hearts, in their spare time, they're chasing after these these false gods. They're they're wandering after these things that, that get their heart excited. And they're giving their affection and their time and their energy to these other things. All the while going down the list and checking off the boxes that they needed to do to stay up with the requirements of the law. Can you believe that they would do that after all God had done for them, right? God God took them, they were in slavery to the Egyptians and God brought them out of their slavery and set them free. And they wandered through the desert for 40 years and God provided food for them. They opened their tent up in the morning and there was manna on the ground. How awesome is that, right? Right? And then then they chase after these other gods that they made with their own hands. That's sick. We would never do that, right? (laughs) We would would never do that. I don't know about you, but um, I am exactly like Israel. I am exactly like Israel, And I hope I'm not alone, but I'm just going to confess to you today that I, uh, I will do the socially acceptable thing and I will go to church and I will sing the songs and I will do my devotional and I will, I will do all the outward things that we, we think we need to do as Christians, right? Um, and then I will chase after all my false gods. And my false gods have names, just like the names of the Israelites' false gods. My false gods are Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, the god of pictures. (laughs) And my wife and kids even, my job, money. You know, am I saying that we are to get rid of all those things? Certainly not. We should put them in their correct place though. You see the problem with me and I'm hoping that I'm not the only one but the problem with me is that I tend to place my affection and the priority of those things in my life on a much higher level, a much higher place on the shelf than I put my affection and my my time and my energy and my devotion to the Lord. An example of that might be that Husbands, you can, you can probably give me an amen on this one too. Sometimes I care more about pleasing my wife than I do about pleasing the Lord. Sometimes I will bend uh, to, to please her or, or go out of my way to please her even when I feel as though God is telling us that we should do something else. I avoid that confrontation there. Sometimes I would rather spend my money on something that I want rather than fulfilling the need of someone that I know needs it, right? Can I get an amen, brother? Amen. 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 So we do those things, right? We can all admit, I hope, that we are just like Israel in that way. So how do we stop this? Jesus offers us some guidance in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Turn with me there if you have your Bibles. That would be the first book in the New Testament. Uh, turn to chapter 6 there. Verse 19 is where we're going to be. I'll give you a second to get there. It says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also that is the banner that we're going to place over this message today if you right, if you're taking notes that is the big headline that you want to write across the page there where your treasure is there your heart will be also so I'd ask you today, where is your treasure? You see, I believe the problem is that we don't treasure the gift of salvation that we've been given. We, we kind of treat it as, uh, as just an obligatory gift that God did for us. you know. And, and because of that, we've chased these idols and God has become just another name on the long list of people that we have to get an obligatory gift for, right? And so I think that... To be able to treasure the salvation that we've been given, we have to understand a couple of things. And the first of those is that the gift of salvation was expensive for God. It was very expensive for God. And we don't realize that, right? Because we're like, we're like infants. And, and me and my wife just had, um, just had a little baby boy. He's six weeks old. Now his name's Benjamin and he's back there being very good right now and I'm hoping that he stays that way. But Benjamin doesn't know the value of things, you know? If we gave Benjamin my wife's wedding ring, he would probably chew on it. And we are like that with the gospel, are we not? It is such it is such a vast, important and powerful message it is such a deep and meaningful sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross and God made for us and giving us his only son to die for our sins that when we receive that message we're like an infant we don't know what to do with it so we just chew on it and so we have to understand that God's gift to us and his only son was expensive for us the verse that we had up there, we'll read again, Isaiah chapter 53, and if we can put it up there on the screen, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't know about you, but if, if we are just counting my iniquity, if we're just going to tally up my sin and my iniquity and lay it on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross, that is a weight that I cannot imagine for one person to bear. And if we, if we were to add up all of our transgressions just in this room, And lay that on the shoulders of Christ on the cross. That is an extremely unbearable weight. And so it was expensive. And the second thing that we have to realize about this gift of salvation that we've been given is that it has changed our lives forever. If you are not a believer... If you are new to this whole Christian thing and you're like, those folks are a little crazy and I'm just going to come check this out and see what it's all about. Let me tell you that the change that we've experienced is described in Ezekiel chapter 36 that God took out a heart of stone and our heart of stone was dead. It was lifeless and it was cold and we did not feel certain things about other people that maybe we should have felt. We didn't feel certain things about God that maybe we should have felt being made in his image. And so what God did, apart from our own effort, is he reached in and he pulled our heart of stone out and he replaced it with a heart of flesh that is beating and alive and can feel. And so the things that we used to treasure, we no longer treasure like we once did. And we begin to treasure the things that God treasures. You see, we were dead in our sin. We were slaves to our sin, just like the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. And God, in his sovereignty and his mercy, set us free from that. And we're changed. We're a changed people because of that. And if we could turn our attention away from all of the flashy, bright uh, idols that we worship, hopefully we could begin to treasure that gift of salvation a bit more. So how do we, how do we put this all into play, right? How do we, how do we take this idea of spending less on the stuff, right? All of the stuff that we're going to get and we're going to, we're going to spend a lot of money on it and a lot of energy and a lot of frustration and trying to, um, trying to stay up with the requirements of the socially acceptable norms of the holiday season, Right? How do we get away from that? Well, let me ask you some questions. How are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? How are you spending your emotional energy, your affection? What is your affection placed on? You know, and and I will tackle the first one, um, the toughest one first, uh, shall I say, and let's just talk about money. It gets a little uncomfortable when we talk about money, doesn't it? There are better ways that we can spend our money, and if we are to follow the guideline of Matthew chapter nine, uh, chapter six, verse nineteen, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And so, let me just, you know, I'm not on staff here at the church, so I can say it. Are you given to the church? I mean, is that important to you? Are we approaching church as we do? Our Black Friday sales are we consumers at church you see the church is meant to be a body of believers we are all connected look around to your neighbor you are connected to these people you're connected to them we are part of a body that functions together of which the head of the body is Jesus Christ and so if you're not certain about what all goes on here at Neartown there's awesome things that are going on in the community We meet here at Gregory Lincoln Education Center and there are uh, people that are mentoring the children that go here. We are partnering with the church financially to give them the things that they need to help facilitate the education and some of the kids that need a little extra help along the way. Uh, We also partner with folks in Ethiopia. And some mission work that's going on there to present the gospel to folks that have never heard it before. And so we don't approach church just as this place that we go and we sing these songs and we hear this message and, and then we leave and we go about worshiping our other gods during the week. It is a living, breathing body of people, this, this mission partner. That's why we don't call our, our, our folks that are on mission with us members, Right? We call them mission partners because we are on a mission to invite busy people to experience the peace of life in Jesus Christ here in the city of Houston. It's an important thing. And so if you treasure that, you should give to it, right? I mean, I don't feel like that's a crazy thing to say. We treasure lots of things that we give to. And I think the local church should be one of them. I think it's important. It helps further... The advancement of the gospel in the city of Houston and not just here, but all over the world, Ethiopia, some of the other places that we are ministering to children in Compassion International. And that's another great place to spend your money is Compassion International. A lot of you already sponsor children and uh, my wife and I do, and we have seen a huge blessing just to know that the little bit, what, what is just a, a small amount for us is given and to those children, it is a huge, huge deal. We got a letter back uh, from Kofi, our young man that we sponsor. And he told us in the letter what, what all he bought with the, uh, you know, what, however, it wasn't a large amount that we sent. I can't remember how much it was, but we sent, it was a gift for his birthday or something like that. And the list of things that he was able to do with that for him and his family, it was just mind boggling. It would truly bless your heart to do that. And you know, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, that would be cool, but you know, I just don't, that just doesn't stir me up. Well, you know, sometimes you have to give to something, and I'll credit Andrew with kind of with reminding me of this. Sometimes you have to give to something before you really begin to treasure it, right? Sometimes you have to give your money and have some skin in the game, and once you have some skin in the game, you all of a sudden begin to care about it. If you're in a free fantasy football league, you're probably not, che- you may not check it every week. But if you paid for that fantasy football league, you're checking those stats every week because you want to know, you know, you, you didn't spend your money in vain, right? It's the same way with our hearts. Our hearts tend to follow these places that we invest in. So if you're, if you're here and you're not sure about this whole giving to the church, you're not sure about spending your money on things like Compassion International or the Star of Hope, which is an awesome uh, mission that's centered on the gospel here in the city of Houston that feeds and houses thousands of homeless people every year. If you're not sure about that stuff, I, I, would, I would plead with you to begin to invest just a small amount. Begin to give something and watch, watch your heart begin to treasure those things. Another one is time. This is the one that, that really grinds on me because I am the most, uh, I have such a deficit of time in my life because I am so scattered, I do so many different things, I wear so many different hats that I end up neglecting the things that are important. And so I would encourage you, just like we talked about a moment ago, look at the people around you in this room. You are spiritually, spiritually connected to them. You are part of a body of believers, and you should get to know them. Invest in meaningful time. Engage with these people that are sitting in this room and those that are part of our, our church that couldn't be here. Not only the people of the church, but engage With those that are not in the church your neighbors your co-workers invite people into your life to hear your story and listen to their story and you know if we will all engage with each other as well and we operate and we function like a well-oiled machine like a working body of believers our left hand and our right hand are gonna know each other and know what we're doing and just like whenever I bring my hands together like this my left hand and my right hand don't have to guess on where to fall there They know exactly where they're headed. My my fingers don't collide. They they fit right into the exact place that they need to go because they know each other. They know the movement of each other. We should be that way as a church. And if we do that and then we go outside the walls of the church and we invest in our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors... And we invite them in. They begin to see this, this fellowship, this beautiful relationship that we have with each other. And, and God gets a hold of their heart and becomes infectious to them. And it's a beautiful thing. And the last thing, and, and honestly the most important to me, is that I would urge you to spend your emotional energy wisely. And what I mean by emotional energy is what are the things that fire you up? What are the things that, that stir your heart and, and that have a hold of your affection? Is it the Texans' terrible football season? A little bit. Is it, uh, is it your progress at work or your career? You know, All of these things are good, but as we talked about before, let's not put them on the higher shelf than we do God. I would urge you to meditate on God's word and become informed. Of God's promises to us. I think that if you will do that on a regular basis, you will begin to treasure the things that God treasures. But how will we know if we don't read His Word? My wife and I have a great marriage, and it would not be so if uh, we didn't sit down at the table and play cards once in a while and catch up and see you know, see how we're doing, listen to each other's heart and find out where we're at in the world on our thoughts and our fears and our beliefs about certain things and our hopes and our dreams, right? You have to communicate with God and the two ways that we do that are through reading his word and praying. And as we do those things, as we commit to investing our emotional energy and our time into those things, we begin to see the treasures of our heart change, right? And that's what we want. We have been saved and ransomed and made new on the inside, but outwardly we are being made new. It's a little bit of a different process, right? So we've been saved and we're being sanctified. And, you know, a quick little story about that is that whenever I was, uh, I was in an explosion a couple of years ago, two, I think three years ago, electrical explosion, and I was burnt on, down both arms and down the side of my, my face. Here. And my arms had it really bad. And so I was in the burn unit for like nine days. And part of, of what happens when you have a burn like that is that the, the tissue on the very bottom begins to regenerate and grow back first. And as it begins to grow back, the, the tissue on the outside dies. And so there's a continuous process of, of scraping the old skin off. And I know that's a very graphic depiction of this, but it, it really kind of fits our life, right? Because we've been saved. Our heart has been plucked out of our chest. That heart of stone and a heart of flesh has been put in there, but we don't all the time feel different about that, right? Like we wake up on Monday morning and we kind of feel like the old Matt or, you know, the old Sarah or the old Tim, or whoever, right? And so we are being made new constantly. And so the more we invest in the word of God and meditate on it and pray to him, the more those old layers begin to come off and the new layers, the regenerated layers come to the surface. And so in closing, I just want to tell you guys, you know, the last thing that we need this Christmas season is another bottle of aftershave. You know, the last thing we need is a credit card bill. It's going to show up in January that we don't have the money to pay for. You know, the last thing that we need is, is an old pair of socks or uh, another tie or another obligatory gift that we've received or given to someone that doesn't truly matter in the grand scheme of things. So I'm going to urge you and I'm going to do my best to travel this road along with you that This holiday season, this time of Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Christ and we long for his returning, that we would spend less on stuff that would make our giving truly matter to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for your love and for your gracious, costly gift of salvation that you have given to us, Lord. You are so good to us and you provide for us daily and you've given the ultimate sacrifice for us, Lord, and I ask you to help us to treasure those things. Help us to take our focus and our sight off of the glittering, sparkly idols of the world and help us to focus and to treasure your gift of salvation. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.